1: Welcome, James, to Freya's Free Practice Fridays. You couldn't stay away, could you? I mean, you could, you're in London, but uh, missed one podcast and now you wanted your spot back.
2: I feel like it became too Dutch for my liking. I need to be here to even it all out and be as British as possible as I fly that passport of mine. Today, (laughs) Tommy T has no say here.
1: Well, that's fine because I'm still here, and so because of the Dutchness of what has become a real thing, apparently, we're going to start with a bit of a. You've obviously done race review, which is awesome. Um, covered everything that happened with when, which was in a much more exciting race than we uh, we thought it was going to be, especially Tommy T. Um, <laughs> but in terms of what happened, we're going to start with Max who in response to your question um, in the post-race press conference about the atmosphere at Monza, I said, oh, yeah, it was a great place to stand but actually the atmosphere was not the greatest for me. It is what it is. Um, obviously referring to the booing um, that he kind of was met with in the face of the excellent anthem um, and obviously during his, um, his interview. Leclerc, when asked and for his opinion on this, kind of said, look, it shouldn't happen, but what can you do? If it was anybody else besides the Dutch, James, would you have a different opinion and what is your opinion? <laughs>
2: look, I think if the Italians can't even get their own anthem right at the very start of the Grand Prix, then they shouldn't be booing anything. Uh, I think if uh, they could just get the <laughs> basics correct, do the anthem properly, maybe just, I don't know, be a Formula One team properly. Uh, they didn't have a good time for, from a Ferrari point of view, really. The Alpha Tauri's... Doing a, a better home job than Ferrari. Look, I think it's uh, it's one of those interesting things, isn't it? We've seen that at the Dutch Grand Prix, anyone wearing Lewis Hamilton merchandise or Mercedes, or basically anyone else's merchandise, maybe except outside of McLaren, because you could probably sort of get away with it there. Um, there was reports of unacceptable behaviour there. Now at the uh, at Monza in the Italian Grand Prix, there's reports of unacceptable behaviour of people. Uh, wearing, sorry, f- well, Ferrari people basically against everyone else, including Red Bull fans. I think one of the things is this is, it's just a sport team. Like I know that it, you get really passionate about it and it's very exciting, but at the end of the day, take your anger out on Ferrari. Don't take it out on other fans. It's not their fault that your team <laughs> isn't capable of winning a world championship.
1: It's interesting because, like you said, it's there's no driver that seems to be immune to the wrath of an opposing crowd. But I think perhaps because we have such dominant you know couple of drivers, we tend to associate it with a couple of people, right? So obviously we've seen it happen to Lewis, we've seen it happen to to Max a few times. But because we have that kind of those, those dominance, um, that dominance over the last couple of years with those couple of drivers, we're not seeing if it, the same would happen to the French, for example, to the Germans because we're not getting them um, on the top step of the podium. So we, we, you don't really see it beyond that. But I also just think it's interesting from a crowd perspective, you know, we do see it at some other sports as well and yet others um, not so much. But it's always just an interesting point to reflect on, I think, in terms of that that crowd behaviour and whether or not it kind of puts a dampener on the weekend sometimes. Um, Another person who would have had a dampener on the weekend was Pierre Gasly, who was quite unwell, it seems, um, and yet still pulled out a reasonable performance. Um, Campy, just saying. (laughs) But he kind of said, look, I'm better-ish, but um, I have to say it's been a really rough couple of days for me, just feeling really sick, being stuck at home, really, really weak. Um, so he was just happy to be in the car and be able to drive because we've seen what can happen if you offer up that opportunity to somebody else looking at you, Nick DeVry, obviously, um, you know, not, not, um, Albon's fault or anything he could do about that, but just really interesting for Gasly to kind of say, I'm really glad that I was actually driving.
2: (laughs) I think the difference between Gasly and Albon is that. Neither of them, really, their seats are in jeopardy. It is absolutely Latifi and Sonoda and, and their teammates who uh, are sort of more freaking out yeah. about it. Um, it's been an interesting couple of days since. I'm sure we'll talk about Nick in just a moment about the offers that now are on the table for him, apparently. Um, but certainly for for Pierre, there isn't really anyone in the Red Bull pool, and we've sort of said this a couple of times in the last couple of weeks, that would be a suitable replacement for him. Um, certainly, I think... Um, was probably Liam Lawson would have stepped in if, if that was the case, uh, and he only drove uh, the FP1 session of the AlphaTauri in uh, Belgium. So at least he's sort of more up to date with the car. But yeah, I mean, y- you'd hate to you'd hate to feel that way through any circuit I guess but I, in terms of Monza maybe when it's less downforce uh, and there's not so many corners as maybe a track such as Singapore for example it's slightly easier which you know mm. we have absolutely no idea do we but it's slightly easier <laughs> maybe to feel sick in that instance. Um, mm. But you, your heart has to go out to Alex Albon and his family and, and his girlfriend and his friends for the, the complications that happened at the very end of yeah. his procedure which was a fairly straightforward procedure. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that would have been touch and go for, for a moment for, for some of them, I imagine, uh, absolutely no good. But again, I think it highlights the, the realities of life versus the sport and, uh, and how ridiculous fans can get unnecessarily so completely ruining other people's experiences of, of getting to a racetrack. And I mean, they have to queue for hours to get a beer or get a token to get a beer or to get water, Mm. um, and don't really see much of the racetrack. So I think. The fans need to sort it out, but for, for Pierre Gasly, absolutely uh, good thing that he wasn't, uh, he wasn't ill, but also probably a good thing for Liam Lawson that he didn't have to step in because he probably would have been outshone by Nick De Vries anyway, and his, uh, his shot at Formula One, so to speak, maybe wouldn't have been as bright and shining a star as Nick's was.
1: Oh, hundred percent. And like you said, it's um, it, that gosh, that would have been quite an interesting um, development to have two two people doing their debuts unexpectedly at a race would have been interesting. But I think still and. It- We'll talk about Nick in a second, but, you know, at the end of his race, he basically said, I can't move. My shoulders are dead. Everything's yeah. dead. I can't move. Please, somebody yeah. help me get out of the car, which just gives us that that little bit of insight as to somebody who hasn't done a f- the full race distance as to how challenging that was for them. So if you have someone like Gasly, who's just under the weather, and we obviously happened with Norris earlier in the year as well, um, who was really sick, to then still finish in the points Um, finish in eighth, have some good battles out there as well. Um, Just wanted to kind of pick that up as a a pretty good effort because we, again, we kind of got a hint through Nick's um, radio as to just how – hard it is it's a good reminder for us so let's move on to to Nick obviously you guys um you know obviously we're talking about just how fantastic he was during the weekend which he absolutely was and it was great to hear um everybody including yourself James being so supportive of the Dutchman Um, I think what's interesting as well with him is that when we just in terms of, you know, what we're seeing from him at um, at this level is that he's a little bit older than some of the other kind of what we describe as young talents, so to speak. He's 27. And I thought what was great actually about his performance this weekend is that, you know, because he won the 29, 2019 Formula 2 Championship. It shows that if you don't get a drive immediately in Formula 1, it's not the end of your opportunity in that sport. It's about what you do with that opportunity when it does, if and when it does present. Um, So we've discussed this on multiple occasions, this issue of kind of saying you've got these Formula 2 champions coming through, where do they go when we only have 20 driver seats? And I just thought it was really great to see that, you know, when that opportunity presented, he absolutely just, you know, took advantage of that completely, but it's also just a good reminder that if you finish Formula 2, you can't go back into the championship again, you don't have a seat, that's not the end of the road.
2: Yeah, I mean... Campy likes to flip flop and how he thinks about that point, um, depending on which podcast episode. Last episode, he said that there shouldn't there shouldn't be a road to <laughs> Formula One from being the champion of Formula Two. In previous episodes, he said that there should be. So, uh, classic lakeside drive. Let's just uh, flip the decision up and or the coin rather, and see which decision we land on. He um, loves
1: gymnastics. <laughs> that's that's
2: actually one of his things. He goes for a swim. He has a bit of a flail in the pool, or uh, as some people say, it's a bit of a rave. In the the pool with arms fellow, going really. Oh, athletic is absolutely the word is that I associate waterproof. with him.
1: That's what I want to
2: know. <laughs> Doesn't matter. He's got three exactly the same. So if if one gets wet, he has another two in rotation to to help that. No, I think. Look, I think for for Nick, yes, he was an absolute superstar in twenty nineteen. Let's not forget though that um, going into twenty twenty, of course, the the COVID pandemic really messing everyone up, of course, in, in many ways, and you don't need to say that more than once. But for, for his opportunity of trying to get into a seat in 2020, it was the, the grid was pretty full. Um, and uh, there was an option, I think, for him to go to Mercedes as a reserve driver or go to Mercedes Formula E team as a driver. And, of course, I think you take the drive over the reserve drive role any day of the week just to keep your skills up. And let's not forget he's a world champion in Formula E now. Uh, alongside Stoffel Van Dorn, who was, is world champion this year. So his his pedigree is there, absolutely. Uh, you said he's a little bit older, which is a great thing, I think, for, for many ways. Uh, I mentioned this on the previous podcast, but the way that he dealt with uh, the media and how thankful he was to the team mm. and to Williams and everyone else now, I think really shows the, the calibre of the person that he is and how patient he's been. He definitely shows now that he deserves the drive, uh, more so than probably a few other people who were on the grid existing for, for next year. But I wonder if it's it's going to be one of those things now that um, he's going to go from no options maybe to too many. Uh, from what I understand, Williams is really hoping to lock him in, but now there's rumours that uh, Otmar is now looking at, at him as an option for Alpine too. I think, personally take the Williams seat and um, ignore the, or try and avoid as best as possible, the French at the moment for the mess that they're causing themselves. Um, although he is taking part in a test alongside Colton Herder. Um, which will be interesting to see what happens through that with that Alpine uh, speed and Jack doing, of course, there as well. Wouldn't it be great, though, if uh, out of the three of them, Jack comes along, and absolutely dominates them, blowing them all out of the park with an exceptionally fast time. And uh, somehow, magically, we end up with three Australians on the grid, uh, maybe one in a reserve driver role uh, for 2023.
1: Oh, can you imagine what absolute scenes that would be? And then yeah. one day within that three-driver Australian lineup, you'd get an all-Australian podium. That would have to happen. Like, and I'll happily get in the way of any of the Dutchmen who, would, who could potentially not make that happen or, or I'll hold try, you up and, to that. try and create hurdles there. Oh, yeah, well, you know. Um, yeah, no, he he did do a great job. And I think what was a real shame is that for a second there, I thought he was going to get into Q3 as well in qualifying. Um, but he explained afterwards what happened there, in that he was, he had Nicholas's wheel because it's closer, but then he's used to Alex's switches, and then he bumped something and he lost brake balance, um, and then he locked up rears going into turn four, and that's kind of caused him to lose his last run in in Q two. But little things like that, you go when you're just in a you know you've got a completely different setup, let alone the fact that as of you know lap 32 or 33 it was you're in completely uncharted territory. That was the thing for me. I was actually really interested to play out. Um, for his for his race in terms of going, this is as far as you've gone in this car. Everything from here is an unknown. And again, from a physicality perspective, you're entering this space which you don't know how your body, your brain is going to respond to. So, yeah. and I think um, Max actually put it pretty well afterwards in terms of saying, "Look, he, like, yes, the fact that he walked away with points was incredible, but actually, he had to do that day was." get Through lap one without getting into trouble, finish the race, not finish last, and everyone would have been impressed. Um, but the so the fact that he did the performance that he did was, um, was very impressive. Um, one other thing I just wanted to mention, which was I think just something that could be a bit of fun, is that um, Sebastian Vettel will be, um, making an appearance in Race of Champions next year. Um, the other person who was announced for that, of course, was Chadwick. Um, so obviously, as we all know, we've mentioned a few times, Vettel. Well, you know, the end of his season. I, I haven't quite come to terms with that. I think in the same way that, um, you know, with some other just characters that you love seeing on the grid, the fact that he won't be there next year in his scooters with his headbands, um, <laughs> you know, picking up the rubbish is, um, you know, something that will be be dearly missed. But it could be a lot of fun. I think it's at the end of um, end of January uh, in Sweden. Um, so we'll see him alongside Jamie Chadwick, as I mentioned, Johan Christopherson, uh, Hakkinen. it's going to be, that could be a lot of fun. Um, obviously he's racing it before and he's kind of described it as being a really special event, a lot of fun. And I think that would be a really nice move for him after formula one to kind of go, I'm just going to go and do something that is good fun. I'm racing in snow and ice. So I don't really know what I'm doing there. That's going to be pretty interesting. <laughs> um, and he'll also, you know, be, but he's still in a car. Are you looking forward to that?
2: Yeah, he's going to be beaten by Sebastian Loeb, so there's almost no point turning up, I think, for anyone else except for Sebastian <laughs> Loeb um, for the event. That's generally what happens in Race of Champions. It happened this year, Seb and Seb going head-to-head uh, around the track in Sweden on snow. And as fast as Seb Vedel is, uh, Seb Loeb will always dominate uh, if the surface is not as sticky as tarmac potentially can be. <music>
1: Somebody who lives overseas but also just wants to watch shows from all over the place and missing out on your favourite shows not available in your region? Try to keep your private time private, Campy looking at you. Well, let me introduce NordVPN. NordVPN allows Campy to watch the real Housewives of Alabama whenever he wants. But if you also if you're bored with Australian Netflix, easy to do. Why not take it for a spin in the US? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. You don't need to travel to Japan or Singapore, which is where our next grid GP is for your favorite anime when recording NordVPN brings it right to you. You can reach 5,000 server options and no show is out of your reach. So, using our link nordvpn.com/lakeside forward drive, you can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan plus four free months. That's four free months, campy of straight Real Housewives. You can cover OC, Alabama, New York, Florida. Um, you can pro- I reckon there's maybe a like a Denver Real Housewives. I don't know, but these are all accessible to you using NordVPN. Plus. Part of our binging, we want to keep it private, right? So NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. And they've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. So say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware, of course. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and it deletes it just like Campy probably wishes he could delete his browsing history. But it makes a mess of your computer, as he will know, but NordVPN is there with its threat protection feature. And all of this is risk-free. Don't forget that there is literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. So give it a try and if you like it, that's awesome. If you don't, they'll issue a refund and you can pretend the entire situation never even happened nordvpn.com slash drive to get your subscription started today. Okay, so that's it in terms of covering uh, just a, a few extra points um, from the weekend that has been and a few fun things coming up and we all hope to see more of Nick DeVry in the future. But let's move on to our profile for Freya's pre-practice. Pre practice Friday. So, this is why we need to change the name because I uh, can't even say it myself. All right, so let's get into the profile for this week. So, as we've mentioned before, the idea of the profiles that we're covering is to really shine a light on some of the people who are a little bit um, less seen, perhaps in the media. In Formula One. So, we have talked about strategists um, and we've talked about engineers and that type of thing. And this weekend, we are talking about Dr. Catherine Richards. So, she is um, the wind tunnel test technician for Mercedes. So, a primary element of her role is to run the wind tunnel. The aerodynamicists are essentially her client, and she runs the wind tunnel so they can put performance on the car. So day-to-day in terms of her responsibilities, it can go from things like preventative maintenance to assessing wind tunnel data and diagnostics to make sure that everything is working. Um, Also doing things like writing and updating processes and, of course, running the wind tunnel. So what that means is seeing if there are ideas that looked good in the simulators actually work. So as I'm sure we can all piece together pretty quickly, it's a very important job. Um, and ensuring that the tunnel runs accurately is critical because what they learn in the tunnel can end up on the car so like any science-based field research the results need to be repeatable and and of course precise like everything else that is formula one but ultimately if that's not the case you know you can't go and test something yep looks good make it in full size put it on the car oh, that's not what we thought was going to happen back in the tunnel and you get a different result again. That's just not feasible. So making sure that it is running accurately so that they get precise and repeatable results is really important. But it's not just for that reason. And this is quite an interesting thing that I think we don't talk about potentially um, enough is that it's not just for the reasons of you know efficiency and things like that that this is, is critical but with other restrictions that are implemented over the last couple of years, there's less wind tunnel time for those top teams in comparison to the bottom teams. So they have to make sure that they get the absolute best out of each run, um, which maybe be a bit of a digression. We're here to talk about Dr. Catherine Richards. But I thought that was interesting because we do talk a lot about cost caps, for example, affecting a lot of teams productions and actual parts and other rules and restrictions and that type of thing. But there's also the testing of these products, which is not cost related, but through things like time, limited time in the tunnels, which, which also affects their ability to then produce parts in a reasonable speed. So anyway, just a little bit of a a little bit of a sidebar, which I thought was interesting while I was learning a bit about Catherine, but let's get back to her. So one of the reasons I chose Dr. Catherine Richards is that just a few days ago, 17 years ago, she stepped through the gates of what was then BAR Honda. So James, you and I have heard a bit about the behind the scenes of that era when we interviewed Nick Fry, but safe to say she had absolutely no idea what lay ahead. So let's start from the beginning. She grew an interest in kind of STEM subjects, um, but that was very much peaked when her aunt, the story goes, took her plane spotting at an airport, which does what it says on the tin, there were lots of planes, and she was absolutely hooked on that magic that puts planes in the air. So at school, she wanted to be a pilot and focused her studies very much on that goal. You're interested in flying, aren't you, James? You'd be happily be a pilot.
2: I am one thousand percent as plane spotter, which helps when all I do is spend time at airports at the <laughs> moment. Um, but this is really good. Exactly. This is really interesting. This, this is honestly really interesting because, and one of the things that I would say about the wind tunnel before, in your digression, which I think was really, which was really good, is that a lot of the time <laughs> we talk about wind tunnels. We talk about how you know last year mm. Williams and Haas would have had more time in the wind tunnel compared to Mercedes and Ferrari and Red Bull, um, and really that made made no difference, but understanding why they need that time and how that time is used I think is in- incredibly important. I think uh, Dr Catherine Richards' story is phenomenal. What she actually does, how the day-to-day looks for, for her in, in that environment I think is incredibly interesting.
1: Well the other thing for her is that she kind of, you know, she yes she's got the end product or end user in terms of the driver and the race car but It's the aerodynamicists who are actually her client in a way and it kind of just, it helps to really understand how all these different parts are connected. She was like, if I can't do my job, if I don't do my job well, then they can't do their job, they can't test parts, they can't then produce parts and all of that stuff. It's just this big chain and, as again, you know, we have these individuals and roles that get a lot of attention but, you know, something like this, if the parts aren't cleaned on the wind tunnel and it's not delivering that reliable and precise performance, then the aerodynamics is impossible and then the parts aren't getting produced correctly and then things end up on the car and they don't work as they thought they were going to. Um, and we, we hear that occasionally and, you know, there's obviously lots of other moving pieces but that idea of saying, look, it didn't perform in the way that we thought it was going to and that can be something that comes down to simulator, it can be something that comes down to wind tunnel production, all sorts of things. But she looks at planes and she goes, yep, that's what I'm going to do. So she went off and studied. So off she <laughs> off she goes to college, studies aerospace. Just I just love that kind of step of going, yeah, I thought planes were really awesome. I want to fly planes. I'm going to go study aerospace because I'm an absolute genius. Um, and in that process starts learning about aerodynamics, which in her world enter the wind tunnel, tunnel don't actually enter it it'll end really badly but wind tunnels in her world in terms of how they kind of came into the picture was actually the fact that they you know they were initially designed for aircraft um so it makes sense that kind of that's where her journey began but it was also around this time that she started following Formula One a little bit more closely. And she her dad took her to Silverstone. Um, she said, I don't know why he had hospitality tickets, but he did, and we had a great day. And I thought this, you know, this sport was really cool. Um, but it was also kind of during that era of Michael Schumacher's dominance. And that dominance, that dominating performance, is really what sustained her attention. So according to her, it is Michael Schumacher's brilliance that is to blame for the role that she's in at the moment because through that, she learned that you can put a Formula One car in a wind tunnel. And she was like, whoa, 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 wait a second. I want to do that. (laughs) So planes are cool, but do you know Formula One cars can go in wind tunnels? Um, And she started to kind of look elsewhere in terms of how she could apply her skills, focus her studies, um, and potentially go into Formula One. Now, this is when an Australian enters the story, as they always do, just being the legends that they Good are. Good link. I like um, it. And it's <laughs> in, this, in this scenario, it is Will, William Willem Toet. um So he is an Aussie F1 aerodynamicist. Um, he's also now a senior ma- senior sales manager and aerodynamics consultant for Sauber and, and therefore, obviously Alfa Romeo. Um, so she wrote a letter and said. I want to come and see the Benetton factory. In particular, I want to see the wind tunnels. And Willem picked up that letter and said, yeah, come along. I'm doing a tour for some mates. Bring a friend. And um, it was, you know, as they say, you know, um, it'll all go from there. But the way she kind of puts it, she's like, well, okay, so Michael Schumacher really started this whole thing, but then it was um, Willem who has to take the rest of the blame for being an incredible incredibly supportive mentor. Um, In fact, Dr. Richards says, if it hadn't been for him, I wouldn't be where I am today. He became my mentor. He became a close friend. He had the faith and belief in me and supported me through all of my studies and beyond. Um, So off she goes again and she gets her degree in aerospace engineering. And then off she goes again and she gets a PhD in vehicle aerodynamics. (laughs) Just... You know that there's a phenomenal brain there um, and I love how these things and you read through you know, the research and the interviews with her. It's like, oh, yeah, so then I went and, and did my PhD, as you do.
2: This is one of the things that I love about this segment and, why, and and why I'm so glad that it's staying is that there's so many cool and interesting people, more interesting more often than not than the drivers who are behind the scenes, well behind the scenes, helping teams achieve success and, you know, there's thousands of people across all 10 teams and the FIA itself doing amazing things. Uh, people like Dr. Richards. It's, it's incredible. It's really, really incredible.
1: It is and I just love how, you know, when you get those types of people where you go, I could really apply my brain and the way it works to so many different things and they've chosen Formula 1 and to me that is a real intersection of passion for the sport combined with, you know, your strengths, combined with what you're good at um, in terms of, you know, where your your natural strengths lie and then your, your learned skills through whether it's, you know, your degrees or anything else, it's that perfect kind of, meeting of those different areas. And we talked about that with with Hannah Schmitz and the way that she describes herself. She's like, I'm a planner. I plan for every scenario at home. Well, guess what? That works really well in a Formula One scenario as well. So I love um, reading about and learning about these people because they are people who are absolutely kind of following their dream. Um, and they've found this world where all of those skills um, intersect, which is really cool. Mm. So on a day-to-day basis, um, Dr. Richards kind of says that she loves everything about her job. Um, You know, she's like, I get to play with a Model F1 car and this amazing wind tunnel. Um, And I also know that I play a critical role in the success or failure of this team. Um, Now, for her, she's had far more successes than she has failures contributing (laughs) to consecutive eight Um, world championships at Mercedes, which I'm sure is very motivating as well. Um, But despite the run of wins at Mercedes, it's actually the Braun GP that she kind of recounts as her career highlight. A fairy tale year as she describes that against all odds saw Jensen Button to win the drivers' championship and then the team as well and constructors. And, of course, in doing so, taking both titles in its only year of competition became the first to achieve 100% championship success rate, which is just one of those great statistics.
2: Mental. Mental to also think that we're talking about the contract recognition board. Jensen Button was trying to get to Williams and the contract recognition board said no. Uh, And so he ended up staying at what became um, a championship winning team, Braun GP. And if he had gone to Williams, then Rubens Barrichello would be a world champion. But just think about that for a moment. I mean, that's I hate the term "sliding doors," yeah. moment, but there is one.
1: <laughs> you do hate that term, don't you? But 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 the, at the end of every season, there is exactly there is exactly that. And I think again, through looking at these different people who are involved in sports, it's not just the drivers who that affects. It's you know people like Dr. Catherine Richards who you know, may work for this team or that team, and therefore have no world championships or have eight. You know, it, it affects everybody who is part of that um, part of that organization. Um, but like we do like to cover when it comes to chatting about women in particular who are working in Formula One, um, I was interested in what her experience was as being a female working in the sport. Now, researching for this profile, Dr. Catherine Richards reminds me a lot on paper of somebody you and I have met, James, who is Karen Bowling, um, who is the control systems production team lead at McLaren Applied, whereby being the only woman in her department just doesn't bother her. Um, she's gone like I'm an excellent professional at what I do who cares what gender I am it just doesn't bother me and the other thing is that she um, was actually asked in a um, an interview um, you know what what are you yet to achieve what is something that you still want to accomplish in your role and much like Karen and again this just tells me how passionate they are about what they're doing is her response was, no, I love my job. Thank you, <laughs> which was which is also a similar response result, to what we heard from from Karen. So just really interesting to, again to see people in similar types of roles when it comes to those STEM focused um, positions. Just just loving what they do and loving being a part of a high performing team. Um, but what she does recognize is that she can contribute. To helping increase the education level of women in engineering courses. So she's an ambassador for Dare to Be Different, which is the charity founded by Susie Wolfe, who crops up a lot in in these profiles as somebody who is a mentor, um, somebody who is inspiring others and working closely with them to try and propel, in particular, women working in motorsport. Um, And through Dare to Be Different, aiming to inspire the next generation of female talent um, and connect young girls with female mentors already in the motorsport industry industry. So just a quick stat there, um, only about 16% of students graduating from engineering and technology courses in the UK are actually women at the moment. So when you when um, Dr. Richards is asked about, um, you know, the challenges or the hurdles, she's kind of gone, the opportunities are there. We are at a point where we are starting to break down that preconception that motorsport is um, for only for men, It's more about increasing the level of education of women in STEM technology so that's where she's applying her efforts and she kind of said, look, the logic fits. If women aren't studying engineering, then the employers can't recruit them. Um, So employers, schools and universities, kind of these three stages of um, education and then employment, need to work together to create that pipeline and that's where initiatives like Dare to Be Different come in, which is why she has decided to be an ambassador um, for that charity. And she's also said, you know, what else motivates me to do that? Well, I was given this opportunity, you know, the way Willem picked me up and said, you can do this. Somebody gave me an opportunity. They had faith in me and I want to provide that opportunity to somebody else to help them follow their dream. Um, And she recognises that it's a really difficult sport to get into um, and that's why she is doing it because she said, you know, not everybody knows somebody. To um, connect them with a with a team or with a business. Not everybody has come from a um, motorsport background or family. They they're out there on their own trying to find their way in, and she wants to help those people. So as an employer, she's doing that by taking on women for placements and work experience, with the hope that there'll be more of them coming through. So I I just it's always very interesting um, to learn about women who are particularly in these senior roles. And what their experience has been because we it's very easy to make an assumption and mm. what they share might actually be quite different.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, and one of the things that I've noticed a lot recently as well, and Karen and a lot of the engineers and designers at McLaren applied across all the different segments of the business would say similar things that uh, they're very happy to be able to, to talk to people and give people an understanding of exactly what it is the role is that maybe they're looking for or answer questions and certainly here in the UK there's a huge movement in that space in um, the FIA's uh, Women in Motorsport program which is doing an incredible job uh, and that's sort of going out wider across the world now as well too but one of the things I would say to anyone listening to this podcast regardless of the industry that you want to go in talking about Dr Richard specifically uh, of course you can find out more about how to get in touch with her probably through various different websites. In fact, we'll find the website link actually to, to probably get in touch with her through uh, the right means and put that in the description below. But uh, is just go on to LinkedIn and try and find people or Instagram and direct message them because that's what you and I do. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there is a certain level of success in that. And podcasting is all made up. This is not a real thing. But if you're actually genuinely interested and have the the interest, regardless of who you are or where you're from around the world, uh, there's opportunities to work in Formula One. And um, what I would say is that there is a a new content creator who's on the scene. Break. Who uh, he is uh, a, a U.S. guy who moved to England. Uh, he ended up working for Red Bull uh, as an engineer, and he's since left Red Bull and started his own content creation company um, doing bits and pieces and live streaming some podcasts as well. But the last couple of weeks he's been putting pieces of work together basically saying this is how you get into Formula 1. So if this is an interest of yours specifically and you look at planes and you go, I want them to be on the ground right, and and not let them take off at all (laughs) when it comes to aerodynamics, that's the job for me. Uh, It's a good way of getting involved with it. But uh, I think people like Karen's phenomenal uh, for, for her and Catherine to be able to offer themselves up to say, look, if you've got questions, like ask us, we, we're here to be asked. There's no, I think the stigma of trying to get into Formula One It's this beautiful shiny thing and paddock passes and all that sort of other stuff. It's not like that at all it's very hard work no matter who you are up and down the paddock Um, but you don't have to go to an event to make an incredibly huge difference Uh, and Dr Richards is is an incredible example of someone who does that week in week out for almost over over a decade now uh, for a championship for multiple championship winning teams we can say.
1: Oh, absolutely, and I have to say, like her her letter writing story, um, did remind me a bit of your email sending stories. Although I might suggest that she'd had fewer beers when she sent when she wrote her. Yeah, letter, I was going to say she probably she hadn't she had six beers. But Dutch hey, courage, there you go. It's a Dutch thing that
2: I like. There you go. It, I love well.
1: It. Exactly. Okay, see, you can have the cheese. Um, but it's, it's interesting, like you said. Hang on a second. No, 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 no. no <laughs> we're not going to move on from
2: this. I need to go back. This is ridiculous. I, I refuse to move on from this. Firstly, I'm not moving on from my laziness. Whatever this text message is that you sent in the group chat between all the presenters, what is it specifically that, is this the one of the few only things that you can remember in Dutch that you could quip in such a short period of time back to me? And, and Tommy, was that it?
1: Pretty much. Um, no, well, I was thinking like what is something about the Good Dutch culture that you would appreciate or enjoy? And I'm like, well, you don't wear clogs, unlikely. I don't think you're trying to build a windmill in your backyard. <laughs> um, you do probably like street waffles, so I could have used that as an example, but they get enough attention mm. either anyway. So I was like, well, cheese. We make great cheese and do you know what, if you're mm. going to keep – Um, having a go at the Dutch like this, well, then you can't have it. And that's the one thing I could remember to say in Dutch quite quickly that is also a reason. But, uh, yeah.
2: It was outstanding. It was an outstanding (laughs) payout. I'm all about it. (laughs) Also because it completely confused Campy, which is not unusual at the moment. It's like, what was
1: that? I mean, that's every- I mean, did you hear his
2: last episode thing? <laughs> oh, I'm an expert in whatever that music's called, opera. Oh, my God. What is this oh, show even yeah. becoming? Anyway, please do move on with this
1: point. <laughs> this show is becoming Campy's Fitness Podcast. That's what it's becoming. Oh, like how to not learn to a the a mental image. That, anyway. It's, I'm uh, so, and
2: can I also just apologise? I want to apologise specifically <laughs> to one person. Who is an employee of a f- of a friend of the show? Who was listening in the car, and uh, and this work colleague could not get over the <laughs> yeah. heavy breathing that is consistent. Let me just say this, Campy, if you're listening to this, there is an easy way to stop that. Just get off the microphone. You see, you can still talk if the microphone is away from here. Stop being lazy. Move away from it. The I'm breathing is ridiculous here, to edit. Yeah, who would
1: have thought. <laughs>
2: anyway, he doesn't. He's probably not going to listen to this, which just right. shows shows um, some respect, Campy. <laughs>
1: take a swim and that will help with your breathing it's uh you know you have to control it it could be we could be onto something here james um i don't know anyway (laughs) let's keep talking about way more impressive people keeping lifeguards victoria in employment how did we (laughs) how did we end up here um where what where were we formula one very difficult to work in she's there to help New women, how phenomenal is that? Now, what else do we need to know about her job? She is talking about key attributes as to what it takes to be a wind tunnel um, test technician. Um, and she describes the need to be focused, thorough and adaptable. Now, we talked a little bit about this with Tommy in terms of going, there are so many roles here where you need so many different parts of your brain that are kind of in conflict with each other. You know, we talk about this in terms of being focused and thorough, oh, but also adaptable, you know. And I just, again, when it comes to the abilities of people working in this sport, I just, you know, will never stop being amazed. Um, yeah. And the other thing here as well is that there's no, like podcasting, I mean it is like podcasting, there's here no um, tailored qualification. <laughs> there's, no, there's no tailored qualification for being a wind tunnel test technician. You know, you just have to go yeah. and... Figure out how to get there. Um, it just requires that good background knowledge, willingness to learn hard, learn and work hard, and learn hard too. Um, <laughs> like I said, just like podcasting.
2: <laughs> look, it's going well. Uh, look, I think <laughs> the key point as I <laughs> as I rescue the ship, as, as what I'm going to update on my webs on the website, my brof- profile on the bio, where we say James rescues ships of the shows, uh, is that. You and Tommy T criticized the Italian for saying an our Italian our word. Review. No, so no, we're I'm going back. We're going, we're going back. No, I'm no, absolutely. Absolutely putting we're a 10-second time back. penalty on both of you for that. And also, I'm, Italian Jesus chopped his hair I'm off. Sure. So can he can we still call him Italian Jesus? These are two points that are very important to have clarification on, including what the you name of the show be is. The
1: res- you may be the rescuer of ships, but I am the rescuer of train wrecks. Never forget the review that we had where you are an F1 flog and the woman rescues the train wreck, okay? So yes, you might true. feel like you're saving a ship, but it, it's not a ship. It's a train and I'm here to save it. So, you know, it's <laughs> fine. Also, Tommy wasn't I- saying that the Italians can't use Italians words, Italian words. He was saying that we will get sick of Crofty and other people saying tofosi and the fact that it just sounds weird when we say it over and I think, over and over and over again
2: i think you, no you're absolutely right i think the the what he was saying constantly <laughs> was to is just to yeah. it was like you're butchering language <laughs> you are having a, a bad crack anyway um, it was amazing that he could tell the two helmets apart between the two Ferrari yellow helmets because um, he always struggles with that. But uh, anyway, I, I'm still putting a 10 second time penalty on both of you for, for just way too, just having way too much fun ridiculous ridiculous how dare you how dare you it was uh, it was a very good show okay and I really enjoyed listening to it so 20 second time penalty for you for next week
1: well fine I'll cop that I'll just sit quietly for 20 seconds and then have to speak really quickly to make up for it which I'm doing a very good job of right now to be honest but I have two more anecdotes that I wanted to share when it comes to the person who we're actually here to talk about which surprisingly is not Tommy T can't be you or me <laughs> it was actually Dr Richards um so there's two more anecdotes which I thought were funny and be good ones to end on. One is that in 2017 she was asked um, in an interview for Females in Motorsport, if you had a team, which two drivers would you choose? And this was her response. Lewis, definitely. Then, is good but I think I would have Max but I don't think they would work well together. If I could and they would, I think that that would be an unbeatable combination. Lewis and Valtteri get on really, really well, and Max and Daniel get on really, really well. So sometimes you have to think about the personalities as well. Otherwise it can make a really awkward working environment if they don't get on. Thoughts, James? No, I think
2: it'd be fine. Strap both in the same car. Let's have a three-team car and put Charlotte Clare as the third driver and just see what happens. I mean, every other team and every other driver would be able to win because they would be too busy imploding as a team. Um, Hashtag never forget Nico Rosberg.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like we've seen what can happen then when exactly that plays out. And the last anecdote um, in our research from uh, Dr. Catherine Richards is that talking about LinkedIn, which you raised earlier, in 2022, you look at her profile and there is one influencer listed that she follows on LinkedIn. Guess who it is?
2: Chief of Optimism at Optus.
1: That is the one, the one and only Dr. I'm sorry. Are you kidding? If really? The Mercedes. <laughs> uh, no, I know. I'm not kidding. That's <laughs> it. it's Daniel wow. Ricardo. No. That's the whole show for the whole so year. Thank you so much the, for listening. Exactly. It, it tells me everything we need to know. I'm sorry. The Mercedes wind tunnel te- technician. i kind of. I literally cannot speak. Follows one person. or not one person. One influencer. Categorizes influencer on LinkedIn, and it's Daniel Ricardo, Chief Optimism Officer.
2: Hats so off there that you that decision. It.
1: All right, that is it for this week. Goodness, I don't know how we got to this point. Um, So thanks for listening to my ramblings and, James, welcome back. Um, I don't know who will be joining me next time. Manus, you could be up. We just need to get you off childminding duty to try and get you some recording equipment. Um, And out of the regional
2: Victorian bushland.
1: (laughs) Exactly. There's always something unexpected, but it's it's funny. All right, that's it for this week. Don't forget, you can support the show by either subscribing to our YouTube channel, you can pick up some merchandise, NordVPN subscription, or by jumping onto our Patreon link via the link in our bio. Thanks, James. Thanks, mate. Yeah, I said a couple of things. I was like, oh, I can put my dollars worth in if uh,
2: <laughs> put your put your you Netherlands dollar in.
1: My Dutch dollar. (laughs) Sports Social Podcast Network.